You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. I'm Marty, pastor here at the Church of Rutledge. If I haven't met you before, thanks for being here this morning. I want to just start by reading a psalm that's really what prompted this talk this morning, but I just want to read part of this to us this morning. It says, in Psalm 92, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. And this is what prompted the message for me this morning as I was studying this week. Is We're in this Proclaim series, is to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. You skip down to verse 15, it says this, proclaiming, the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. And so just to start with this thought this morning of, even in our worst moments, God is still good, even though tragedy may come, there is no wickedness in him, and sometimes we think God is the problem, but God's always the solution, and he is good and defines what is good. And therefore, He is our rock. And we can stand on Him no matter what may come and know that He does have our best interests at heart. And He ultimately wants His glory, and that's what is best for us when we're on board with that. So from that, uh, this will probably be the last installment of the Proclaim series, depending on where David goes next week, because I'll be in Honduras. David will be with you. Uh, speaking next Sunday, and uh, don't know if he's going to continue on with this or do something else. But the first uh, week we talked about just this, just the idea that as Christians were to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus, how as a Christ follower, that's what we've been given. We are His ambassadors, and so that's what we're supposed to do. And we talked about what the gospel actually is for a whole summer. You know, if you paid attention in the Titus series, we walked through the book of Titus, we went through Galatians, and all through there is just Paul defending, arguing, and just going on about what is the gospel, and it's this, and don't let it get twisted. And so we talked about that. And then the the second week of this series, we talked about how Jesus said that it's by how we love one another is how people will know that we are his disciples. In other words, how we love one another was the validation to our proclamation. And so then last week was about what it meant when Jesus said, as we read in the Scriptures so many times, about what what this thing means about proclaiming the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What is this kingdom? And we talked about that last week. So go back and listen to those online if any of those sound interesting to you. But today will seem really simple on the surface, and but I think it's something we can all relate to. Um, have, and, and it's just a thing where have you ever had those times where 
those moments where you just you, you have those really great moments where you're really really sure that God is working you see what he does it's like no question about what's going on and then at some point you start to question if what you've been doing and what you're a part of has been right all along right you're absolutely sure in this moment but then you get to a moment when you're like I don't I don't know and so today may sound simple but I, I think a lot of us have those moments where we think we're, you know, it's the thing of following God best you can, serving, giving, loving people, reaching out, just all in, and all of a sudden it feels like the wheels come off. What do you do with that? And you wonder what would even be the purpose of getting the tire iron out and trying to fix whatever's wrong with why the wheels came back and why the wheels came off and trying to get back in the car. So we so easily get to that place where we want to proclaim, but it, we get in that, we just lose sight of it. We just forget. We just, um, we wonder, is it worth it? You know? Has God not been faithful? Has this not been what I thought it should be? And over and over again, we read, um, how the scriptures tells us, remember, remember, remember. And we're going to talk about what that's all about this morning. But And then us church folk, we have a tendency, though, to poke fun at the Israelites, right? We read the Old Testament and we're like, man, those guys were idiots. Like one minute they're on it and the next minute they forget totally and they're off making some golden calf to worship or something. And one minute they're they're all in with God and the next minute they just they don't care. They're partying it up and not doing what they should be doing. And they act like they don't need God anymore and worshiping other gods. And so it's one minute on and one minute off. And next minute they're forgetting about him and doing their own thing and just sit down in their own comfort and their own rebellion as though they, you know, they just quit doing what they knew they were supposed to do. As though those things weren't good enough or the right thing anymore. And we think when you read that, you see that in scripture, you're just like, those guys are idiots. How could they do that? Right. How, how in the world is that? But we do the same thing, right? We, we do the exact same thing, although we can look at that in the Bible and go, well, those guys are idiots, right? But it's why from Genesis to River, Revelation, you see this concept in the Bible of remember, of remembrance, of remembering and rem remembering. There's this theme there of remember because we obviously forget so easily the great things God does. I don't, I don't get that about us as people. Um, we forget uh, these miraculous, obvious God things and just wander into our own amnesia, I guess. I don't know. That we self-create. But We, we forget those moments, those moments that cause us to rejoice and celebrate, which is to worship. And if, if it, it's what we are created to do is worship. And so remembering those things about God causes us to take our eyes off our problems and put them on who has always come through and begin to worship it and rejoice as we should. So we have to remember those 
moments so that we don't slide off track, but that we continue in worship and stay on track with Him. So the point this morning is simply this, is that we just need to proclaim the faithfulness of God on a regular basis. It's, it, we so need that, okay? To, to proclaim it to ourselves and to those around us lest we forget and we become bitter or depressed or lose hope or sit down and, and, or even just walk away altogether. And it starts from salvation. You ever, you, how many times have you seen it? If you've been around church very long, you've seen it at least once, if not many, many times where somebody gets saved, you know, they, the salvation moment comes and then the next thing you know, and they're, they're excited and you can't even slow them down, man. You can't put the reins on and keep them from charging forward and telling everybody they know what's happened to them. And then you see it, it's not even six months or a year later and they're not even coming to church anymore. And it's like, what happened? Did they so easily forget what just happened to them? And it starts from that moment of salvation and they lose the, you know, the, the enthusiasm seems to wane. And it's, have we forgot the miracle, the simple miracle of a changed heart? There's no greater miracle on the planet than that. That a person from can go from a hateful person to a loving person, from a stingy person to a generous person, to to just an angry person to a peaceful person, like from a person of addiction and 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 just just no hope to a person of just freed from the chains and just going after it for all they've got because of the hope they find in Jesus. Like that is the greatest miracle ever that a heart can change. But, but so easily we just even forget. And if you're here and you've been, you're a Christian, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you know the sweet taste of grace and the forgiveness and new life that comes through faith in Christ. And then you can rejoice and do what we were talking about in Psalm 92 right there at the beginning of Psalm 92.2 of proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Now I was reading the Psalms and Psalm 92 jumped out at me in light of this proclaimed series and in light of where we are as a church and many of you where you are as individuals and it really spoke to me. And then it took me, it got me thinking about some of the Old Testament stories and where God had been faithful. And I landed on one and we'll get to that in a moment, but when was the last time you proclaimed God's love in the morning and His faithfulness at night? Or have you forgot? Forgot who He is and what He's done in your life? Have your circumstances dictated to you that you just forgot? Remember what I have done. It's what He would say to His people over and over. Back in Exodus 12, um, like you get into verse 14 and you get it concerning the Passover feast. Remember, Israel is enslaved to Egypt. If you remember that story, they are under harsh treatment. God sends Moses to Pharaoh and does the whole let my people go, right? Pharaoh, his heart is hardened and refuses. So God gets to work and starts to just let go of all these plagues on Egypt and he sends the frogs, turns the water to blood and 
backs out, blacks out the sun, and and on and on and on, right? And Pharaoh still refuses to relent. And so God sends the harshest of judgments. He's like, okay, fine, I'll pull out the big guns, you know? And he says, the firstborn son in every Egyptian household will die tonight. And then he goes to the people of Israel and says, kill a lamb and take the blood of that innocent lamb and, and spotless lamb and wipe the blood over your doorposts. And if your home has that blood over the doorpost, then when the angel of death comes, it will pass over your home and not take your firstborn son. That's the whole idea of Passover. That's why it's called that. But then in the middle of the night, the Bible tells us that there arose a cry, a great cry among the households of the Egyptians as they awoke to that reality. And Exodus 12:14 says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, what's, what's going on right there? What's God trying to do for them? He's looking at them going, I know how you are, and I know what's coming. And next week, you're going to forget this ever happened, and you're going to go right back to that the same old stuff. And so he's saying, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to set up for you something to make you remember. Okay? You're going to, you're going to do this feast, and I want you to remember what I have done for you. Because in that remembering, you rejoice, you begin to, in that rejoicing, worship God, and it keeps you connected to Him and focused. And so he, this is like a favor. It's not like, oh man, we've got to keep this religious ritual. No, it's God saying, I'm going to do something for you to help you remember so that you keep your joy in me. So that you keep that peace, you keep that. And it could even, you know, to make it more specific, it's to look at them and say, remember, you didn't do this. You didn't pull out a sword and lead your people out of slavery. I got you out of slavery. I want you to remember you didn't call out the frogs. I sent the frogs. I want you to remember you didn't make fire fall from the sky. I sent fire from the sky. I want you to remember you didn't turn the water to blood. I turned the water to blood. I want you to remember when you get through that I, you didn't part the Red Sea. I parted the Red Sea. Moses didn't do that. I, I, I want you to remember you didn't just defeat the Egyptian army. I defeated the Egyptian army. You didn't do this. Don't forget, you didn't do this. I did this. Yeah, you got out of slavery, but you didn't get out of slavery because you were awesome. You got out of slavery because I'm awesome. That's what God's saying. So don't forget that. Okay? And that, and when you rem- think about that, it makes you rejoice in God and who He is and what He does for you. And you see this command from God again to remember and rejoice if you get to like Joshua 3 and 4. Take time to read that story. It might be something you do this week, but I'm going to focus in on a couple of of deals here. But if you remember the where they'd gone out and gone through the Red Sea, Moses let them out. They get out in the desert. They get to the edge of the Promised Land. They send in the spies. The majority says no, this is all wrong. The minority says no, this is what we should do. There's two guys, and then all of a sudden they're just like, no, it's better back in slavery, and we just let's just go back there and. So they wander in the desert for 40 years until a generation dies off. 
And then you got Joshua 4, 4 through 7, as the Israelites are crossing the Jordan back into the promised land now that that generation has died off and Joshua has taken the lead. It says this, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. They weren't like little rocks. They're pretty big stones, I would imagine, if they had to put them up on their shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. <coughs> These stones, <coughs> excuse me. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It's for them to remember. This once again, it's remember what I have done. So, so I'm the one who delivered you from slavery. I'm also the one who got you out of the desert into the promised land. I'm the one who overcame your unbelief. Do you remember why they didn't go into the promised land? It's a, the whole spies and they got in there like we talked about just a minute ago. And, and these guys came back and they said, man, the people in there are really huge and the walls are really tall. And yeah, this got big grapes and everything like that. But you know, it's these people are huge and they're giants and and we look like grasshoppers to them so therefore we look like grasshoppers to us and they thought we don't want any part of this like there's no way we can do this see how quickly just like that except for those two guys the minority of the group so God's punishment made them to wander around in the desert until that generation was gone. They even got bread from the sky and they would complain about that. God would just miraculously feed them. And they'd start complaining. They'd start recalling slavery as though it was something favorable. It's like, hey, let's go back there. At least we had food back there or whatever. And and they're remembering what it was like to be in slavery and wanting to go back to it. And that's the kind of stories we look at in the Bible and we laugh at them and we, we're like, man, they're, they're, they're just such idiots. And Israel is absolutely a picture of the exact same thing we do, right? We're no better. We just have grace and mercy through the cross is the difference for us today. And we just have the blood of the covenant that covers us under the same kind of crazy behaviors and attitudes that they have. But we're no different. And we look at our situations and circumstances and we get all confused, but there's a time when we knew exactly who God was and exactly what God could do. And then we just forget. Stop rejoicing because of what? Something God can't overcome? Is there something God can't overcome that we have to stop rejoicing? Don't lose the joy of Him in forgetting His faithfulness and what He has done and the good that He has done and who He is. 
hey, I mean, if you're a Christian, he got you out of the ultimate mess. He can get you out of whatever mess you're in now. You with me? If he can overcome sin and death, hell, the grave, I'd say he can handle what's going on in your life right now. Don't lose the joy of him in the forgetting of his faithfulness. I thought about this. Um, what's the obvious response or the reasonable response to God's consistent faithfulness? It's for us to re in return be faithful. Right? I mean, that's just the natural... I mean, it's, a, it's as simple as you say thank you, somebody says you're welcome. I mean, it's as simple as you... You know, that exchange of you saying, hey, hey, Tony, I, I really appreciate you. You're, you're a great friend. And it's as simple as there's something rising. Hopefully there's something comes up in Tony that wants to say, well, hey, I appreciate you too. You know, it's, it's a, it's an obvious reciprocation of if that relationship is there that we go, God's been faithful. So what's our obvious response? What's to be faithful? But what do we usually do? We forget and do exactly what the enemy wants us to do. So you stop rejoicing, you stop worshiping God, and start complaining. And so we see that all through the, the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, where it tells us, remember, remember, you, you know, you, you've got the Passover meal, you've got them stacking the 12 stones, but it goes all through the Scriptures, all the way up into the New Testament, obvious places where Jesus is at the Last Supper with the disciples, and He looks at them and they have, they take the bread and they take the cup and they have the Last Supper and Jesus looks at them and says, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying to them again, make sure you're always proclaiming my faithfulness because you so easily forget. And you'll read the Old Testament and think those guys are idiots, but you're the same idiot. I mean, sorry to say that to you this morning, but that's, I'm in that group too. We are the same idiot. Okay. That does that, we're all, we're that human that does that same behavior. Right? Then Paul comes along and he takes what Jesus said about proclaiming, uh, you know, in, in remembrance of him and he says, um, as, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He takes it so far as to, Yes, remember Christ died, but hey, let's, there's something else that's in the midst of this. Let's remember that He's coming back again. Don't forget that part, right? So it's all through there. Remember, remember, remember. And, and, and I get it. You know, it's, it's tough in the moment. Like when stuff falls apart around you, it is tough in the moment. It's just like Joshua and the people standing there. They're, they're, they're getting ready. They've had a generation die. <clears throat> Moses has just died. Joshua takes over. He's staring at a river that's overflowing its banks. And we got to get all these people across the Ark of the Covenant. God, we've always known we needed to do this, but now how are we going to, how, how do we deal with the situation and what's going on in the moment? <clears throat> Here he is a brand new, in a brand new spot of leadership. I mean, who wants to follow the shoe, in the shoes of Moses? I mean, come on, right? 
sign up for that job. And it's the pattern all through the Old Testament. As soon as they get across the Jordan River, what do they have to face then? They stack the 12 stones and they turn around and look. What's right in front of them? Jericho. And these enormous walls. And it's that same pattern over and over again. Facing challenges, but never forgetting how God got you through all those others. Another challenge. And it's, it's, it's a part of the whole vision he gave them of this is going to be yours, but here's all the challenges along the way. But never forget how I get you through each one of those. And I love this part. I skipped back. To, I went past it to go back to it on purpose. Look back as they get ready the day before they cross the Jordan. Joshua 3.5. Go back from chapter 4. We go back to 3.5. And I love this. It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He's getting them ready. He's like, man, tomorrow is going to be awesome. And how do I know it's going to be awesome? Because God is faithful and I know what He's done in the past. And I know that He says this is what's going to be in the future that we can walk in that and be okay. I believe with God the best is always yet to come. We've talked about that many times. Anybody else believe that? No matter what the situation, God can always do amazing things among you. May not may not be how you want it, when you want it, and I know that's the whole churchy answer, and that that kind of makes it all in, encompassing and gets you by. But it, but the thing is, it always turns out better than you imagine. It's why we have talked about proclaiming the gospel. When Jesus comes into a situation, when the kingdom comes to bear on any situation, that you're, no matter what we're facing, when God shows His faithfulness, faithfulness, no matter what is going on, Jesus has overcome the world and He can overcome any of that. So whether it's Jesus coming to change an individual life or Jesus coming back again at the end, it's all amazing. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And and I got I don't That just makes me happy. Okay? That just makes me rejoice. I don't know about you, just to read that verse and go consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. It just gets me happy, happy, happy. Okay? But it also challenges me. I get excited, but then I go. Dang, you know, when you look at it at the same time, you get that same, I'm excited, but did you see that word on the front of that? Consecrate yourselves. Okay, so there's something I got to do, and that sounds really tough, okay? There, there's this prerequisite to the amazing thing in this, and that was consecrate yourselves. When I was at a, I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever heard me talk about this, but I, this just came to me last night. I thought, in the light of that word consecrate, I just want to I want to throw this back out there. If you've been in any small group settings, I've probably shared this with you in some of our prayer meetings. But when I was in Nashville, I met a guy named Claude King. You may have heard of Claude King. He's co-author with Henry Blackaby of the Experiencing God Study. So I'm, Claude King does our devotion for the morning. Um, Rita was there. It was it was really awesome. You got Claude King, not my kind of speaker. Older guy talked real slow, 
But when he spoke, it just, there was, I don't know what it was. It just locked on. I just wanted to cry the whole time. Like, I was like, this guy's awesome, you know, but I was like, totally not what I would normally listen to, you know. But, but he, he did a devotional that morning and then I went up to him and, and we talked for a while. We may have him come here sometime. He said he'd come here and, and, and share with us. But I learned about this word consecrate from Claude King in a unique way. And it, it involves something that you see, uh, you ever you ever see you know when you you have your kids pray or when you put your hands together you know the praying hands you always see this. Um, he talked about what this was, and then related it to to consecrating yourselves and and how um, how this all kind of came together. And I have never looked at this the same since I heard him talk about it, because there's a reason that this is done, and we think it's some little kid thing sit down and pray like this. But I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. This is serious when you do this and you pray. Okay? Because if you do it as what it really means and why it started. Okay? Some, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but it, it's not a children's deal. It's serious. In a homage ceremony, it came about in the medieval times, in homage ceremonies where... Uh, a king, a lord, or landowner would call his vassals or his subjects before him to pledge their loyalty and obedience to them. And the king would be sitting on his throne and he would hold out his hands like this. And the subject or whoever it was would walk up and kneel before the king or the lord and would put his hands together and place his hands into the open hands of the king as a gesture, as a symbol, and, the, and the, the, the king would fold his hands up around that subject's hands. Okay? And he would say these words as he held his hands inside the king's hands. He would say, I am your man. I'm yours. The name of the ceremony comes from a Latin word for man, homage. Okay? And that simple statement and it just essentially meant what he was saying and relaying in the ceremony what that meant was i belong to you it it included the obligation to obey any request that the king had all the way up to included the readiness to obey to go to battle if the assignment cost you your life it could become a pledge of obedience even unto death So you've got this going on in medieval ceremonies during that time, but then you got Christians sitting back going, wait a minute. This, this, we owe a higher loyalty to our King, our Lord in heaven, King Jesus seated on his throne, outstretched nail scarred hands, He's waiting for our surrender, our pledge, our loyalty to Him for the work of His kingdom. And so Christians would began to pray in the Middle Ages. They would be alone and pray and they would put their hands together. Clasped hands, heads bowed as though before the King 
him with his open hands, placing his hands around them as to say the same thing to their king, Lord Jesus. As if to pledge their loyalty and obedience, King Jesus, today, I'm your man. I'm your woman. Command me, I will obey you. I will follow you, no matter where it may lead me. And that gets different meaning to this than what we think of as praying as children. But it goes further. When you put that together with this whole thought of consecration and what that means, and consecration can mean simply to sanctify or cleanse or purify, to make holy. And we need to be clean vessels walking in the Spirit for this. And we did a talk some time ago about that whole, what that means to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Another term for consecration is made up of two words, which the first word means to fill up or be full, and the second word means open hand. Okay? You see where this goes? The picture of this term is the, is, for this one is actually the priest in the Old Testament standing next to the altar as someone would come up and place, have his open hands ready to receive the sacrifice for your sin. And you would lay that sacrifice into the hands of the priest. As long as the sacrifice is in your hands, it belongs to you. But when you place the sacrifice in the open hands of the priest, it is consecrated to God and becomes holy. It belongs to God, all of it, and it becomes holy because God is holy. Do you see that? And in Romans 12.1, Paul would then write, this is the kicker, okay? When you think about this and praying like this and you think about that sacrifice and and what happens there in Romans 12.1, Paul writes what? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You get that? As we come before Him to pray, our King is looking for entire consecration, full surrender to hear and obey His will. And so, maybe next time you get down to pray and you just think about even this is just a form of that. Hands together, whatever this may be. Just to think who you're coming before and your prayer, what what that how that's even possible for you to come before a holy God and you're giving yourself to Him. Our King is looking for entire consecration, full surrender to hear and obey His will. Jesus, I'm your man, I'm your woman. My time, my plans, my resources, my career, my family, my health, my future, my very life are yours. Command me today and I will obey you. And when we come with that attitude and we remember what God has done, that's what we got. We don't want to do this because we, we just go, we don't need God anymore. And we just forget everything He's done. And this means nothing to us. And we forget. When we remember where He's brought us from to where He's brought us to, we can rejoice and worship Him completely. So I'm going to ask you this morning to, to remember. We get so focused on the wrong stuff. And I just want to simply ask you to remember all the good stuff. I mean, you're sitting here, 
enjoying just the simple, common grace of God just to sit here this morning and enjoy one another. And we can be so thankless for that simplicity because it can, it can be gone quickly. So I'm going to ask you just to pray right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. Can those of you who belong to King Jesus, can you start to just think of how good He is to us? Just start to think about how good God is. Think of the great things He has done. For those of us here at TCAR, I can think of the endless baptisms. People in this church that we've baptized and lives that have been changed. I can think all the way back to Coryton and when we were there and giving us the money to get started. Kingswood allowing us to use their chapel for so many years. God giving us this property this building, Him bringing along the staff that we have today. It's amazing. It's worth rejoicing over. You can go from individual salvation to what He's done through this church to what... It's, it's, when you really sit down and think about it, there's so many things we can thank Him for. It's worth rejoicing over. thinking about how God redeemed you. I just ask this, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you say, I, could, I couldn't come before Him with my hands together like that and do that because I'm not His. I, I've never placed my life in His hands. Maybe right where you're sitting this morning, that's where you need to start. Maybe in some way you can see the faithfulness of Him in your life. One, He got you here this morning. He's still after you. He still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. He's, he's once again in your life coming at you for it. So maybe it's time to do that. Just to say, I'm, I realize I, I'm not a very good God. I've tried to be God in my own life, do things my own way. And it just hadn't worked very well. Or maybe it's been okay, but there's just no peace. There's no rejoicing. Maybe it's time to turn from you running your own life to, because of your sin separating you from God. It's time to turn from you and your sin and you turn to Jesus and just say, this morning, I'm your man, I'm your woman, I give myself to you. You are my Lord, you are my King, and I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to rejoice as I watch your faithfulness. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sin so that I could have a hope that goes beyond this world because this world has so much pain and sorrow, but we have an overcoming God. that's you this morning you just need to repent and turn to Jesus Father God we look forward to the next amazing thing you will do among us I'm just thankful we can be here this morning and be together and look at your word and allow you to speak to us
it's my hope that we haven't forgotten who you are in the midst of something difficult or in life circumstances or because life takes us somewhere else. Would you just remind us that you're God and nothing has taken you by surprise. That you're totally aware of our circumstances. My prayer this morning is we would remember what you've done for us, that specifically we would remember the cross. We would rejoice over that by giving to us Christ's perfection and putting on Him the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. We could just rejoice over that for eternity. I pray that you would help us to experience gospel, you would help us to experience your son and what he's done for us, that we would experience it and not just understand it. We love you and we need you, Father. God, I pray for those hurting this morning. I know healing is in your hands. We just remember you have defeated death, hell, and the grave, and so we rejoice in that. It's amazing, Father, the peace that you can give us that goes beyond understanding, Father, that we can have a joy and a peace in the midst of the worst of moments. Not because we're awesome, because you're awesome. So we just lean into that this morning. And thank you with all that we are. In Jesus' name.